Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here, and today, the H1B Guy Live, October 19th, 2022. Today, I'm going to discuss the green card backlog continues to grow, as well as some very concerning EB2 data, and taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruit process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Join the squad. Well, it is a little after 3 p.m. Eastern here in the U.S. Uh, as I mentioned, it's October the 19th, 2022. Uh, back with you for another live stream. Uh, this is the third Wednesday in a row now that I have been available to have another one of these live streams. And as I talked about last week, I uh, just always enjoy having an opportunity to uh, connect and interact with so many of you via these live sessions. I uh, plan to go uh, for about 35 to 45 minutes today, kind of depending on uh, the questions and comments that, that we receive and uh, the discussion that we have over the course um, of, uh, of the hour here. But I wanted to start out today with a couple of things things that I think have really been kind of at the front and center. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've talked a lot about uh, the NDAA and immigration amendments being part of a dozens and dozens of amendments included in the NDAA. But I do think there is a possibility maybe even higher a high probability of, of some of those amendments being included uh, potentially even lending itself to some immigration reform and i think that the thing that's noticeably missing um and the thing that we've been talking about for a, a while is uh, really this kind of legislative uh impasse that that we're at right now right um and really going back to when this channel first launched summer of, of 2020 we had the you know s386 debates uh, fairness for high skilled uh, immigrants act that was going on in the senate and the interesting thing about that fairness for high skilled immigrants act is that you know it was passed in the house and then later on at the very end of the year um right after thanksgiving in the senate there were some amendments of course added to that which required it to be 
um, reintroduced and voted on again in the House before it could become law, which ultimately um, that reconciliation, you know, really never happened. And it left the Fairness for High School Immigrants Act to, you know, kind of die an initial death um, two years as being, you know, as part of, of the legislative uh, umbrella. And I think the thing that's interesting here is we can talk about the Eagle Act, right? Uh, we can talk about it, but, you know, facts are, um, you know, we look at where the Eagle Act is and, and that's really, it's, it's still in, in committee. Um, neither one of the, the, the pieces of legislation that were introduced uh, in the House or in the Senate um, has made its way to the, the floor of either the House or the Senate. And so uh, why is that something that is part of this green card backlog continuing to grow? Well, you know, ultimately, um, there's just been no reform and no solution for addressing the as I initially talked about the 1 million, 1.2, now it's being estimated right now um, by many of the immigration experts out there, uh, including Cato, um, 1.4 million and growing. And that's a staggering number because I generally take that number and, and back it out to what does that mean for the individual employment base because it's including spouses and dependents and i'd say we're probably somewhere in that uh, 750 to 800,000 individuals that are in the employment based uh, backlog primarily of uh, indian and chinese descent indian nationals and chinese nationals um, as they make up really the highest percentage of of the backlog and this is where those of us that were, you know, really beating the drum of that Fairness for High Skilled Immigrants Act, and, and we've talked about the the Eagle Act, is there was a ten year plan, right, to to kind of clear the backlog, and you know, ultimately, until the root cause, right, the the primary issue, that seven percent on country caps, that's created this. Um, the fact that 70 to 80% of all H-1Bs come from India and another 10 to 15% come from China. Um, those two issues in and of itself, right? 70 to 80% of all H-1Bs come from India, 10 to 15% come from China, um, kind of depending on the, the, the year. And then you take really the two largest countries in the world and you put a 7% cap on employment-based preferences. You're talking about 9,800 um employment-based visas that are are slotted for each country annually or from a maximum of 7%, 9,800 is kind of the max that each country can have. Um, and as I talked about last week, we covered a lot of the I-140 approval numbers. When you look at the 30, 40, 50,000 I-140s that are approved annually specifically for India, um, and you take that, and, you know, kind of compare it to <laughs> 9,800 available annually, right, year over year. And you can look at the last 10 years, kind of 2011 to 2021, um, and you can see how 
really this backlog has just continued to grow year over year. Now, we can look at the last couple of years, uh, October of 2020, um, and all of the efforts that were done in 2021, as well as in, in 2022, uh, to start to um, advance the visa bulletin in a manner to utilize the, the spillovers, the family-based spillovers that were uh, available for uh, 2021 and, and 2022. Um, and unfortunately, through that advancement of spillovers and through some of lack of process, um, this larger issue now is, has been created. And that larger issue is you look at the retrogression that occurred in October, almost three years of retrogression, 990 plus days of retrogression that happened specifically in India EB2. And you can start to look at, you know, kind of and point to um, how we got here, right? The dominoes that, that have fallen over the last couple of years. And this isn't a matter of, uh, finding fault or negativity this is just realistic that when i first started talking about the green card backlog here on this platform it was estimated to be around a million um, over the last six months i've talked about it being close to 1.2 million now with the new data out we're at 1.4 million so literally in a matter of two years give or take the green card backlogs grown by 400,000. Again, this isn't just for individuals of India. This is China specifically as well. Um, and you have other countries that have um, have final action dates, right? You can go look at the bulletin. New Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Philippines. Um, there are dates being established. And then as I talked about at length last week, the fact that there is a possibility of a final action date being put out there for EB2 for all chargeability, rest of world, um, is really kind of something that I never thought we'd see and, and a really scary proposition. And so uh, what, what does all of this mean as we continue to have uh, this, this green card backlog growing? You continue to see individuals' times be extended you know, I talk about calculating, you know, final action date from priority date and using 3,800 as kind of my baseline for the equation. I, that I foresee potentially extending out maybe into uh, 4,000, 4,200 days, maybe adding another year. So instead of it being 10 years, now we're talking about 11 years, maybe 12 uh, until that final action date comes current. And so a lot of you have reached out to me over the last week, many of you with like late December 2014 final action dates who didn't get that December 1st cut um, that we saw as late as September of, of 2022's Visa Bulletin. Um, we'd like to ask you again, if, if you haven't already, please make sure that uh, you like this video and you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. I click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we do go live, like we have here today, a little after 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, October the 19th, 2022. Uh, if you have questions or comments, I would love to take those. Uh, please feel free to post those in the chat, and I will get to those um, sometime in the next 10 minutes or so. 
But let's go ahead and start getting those questions or comments in the chat so that I can start uh, populating and aggregating those uh, to get to those. Uh, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy channel and the H1B Guy platform, um, you can currently do so through the super chat function uh, that is available during the live stream here on YouTube. Or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date, you can do so through the super thanks. Um, there are also other ways that you can help produce the H1B Guy. Uh, links in the video description below. Um, and as I mentioned, our sponsors, um, Pathicana and Syndesis, as well as perm-ads.com and Mob Squad. Uh, click those links that are also included in the video descriptions below. Uh, and that helps me to continue to upgrade uh, the content and the technology that helps drive this platform. I know last week we had a little glitch during the live stream, but thank you for those that, that stayed on. And I just want to thank all of you who have taken time here to join me this afternoon. I really appreciate your time and, and your support. If you have questions or comments, please post those in the chat and I will be sure to get to those. Um, yesterday, there was some really interesting information. Benitez Law, Benitez Law Firm, and uh, you know they've they've been part of this pretty significant uh, uh, litigation um, around adjustment of status delays and transparency around processing of adjustment of status uh, by USCIS. And now these are estimated. Estimated data, estimated numbers, but again, you know, they're sharing this in full on public as part of their litigation. Um, and the thing that really stood out to me, um, that's that's I think really scary, scary in terms of what does the rest of the year look like? Um, and and that's you know, quite honestly, that there are for EB2 India, EB2 India, and this is per uh, Benias Law, EB2 India. Um, there's 41,405 41,405 adjustments of status for EB2 India for this fiscal year, for 2023's fiscal year. 41,405 pending adjustments of status for EB2 India. And the data goes on to estimate that there will be a little over 4,000, okay, 4,004 to be exact with their data, 4,004 EB2, employment-based category two, green cards, visas, available for fiscal year 2023. Um, so there are over 10 times, over 10 times, the number of pending adjustments of status than there are for available, available EB-2 visas for fiscal year 2023. And while I've had a lot of hope that whole, that the spillover, the 60,000, uh, in addition to the 140,000 that we've talked about, the 60,000, um, that that's creating 200,000 available for fiscal year, uh, 2023, that that 60,000, um, after this retrogression that, that happened, that 60,000 hopefully, um, would, would kick in and it, it, we, we begin to see some of the movement getting back to, uh, maybe the end of, of 
2013. But when I see this, right, 41,405 estimated, 41,405 estimated adjustment of statuses that are currently pending as of right now, currently pending for India EB2. And there's only 4,000 that are going to be available for all of the fiscal year. Um, situation's dire. <laughs> and again, this isn't me being negative. This is not me fanning flames. This is me being realistic. I talk about and cover the visa bulletin two to three times a month, sometimes more than that. And I get asked all the time, do you think my priority date has a chance of coming current? Can you calculate it for me? And right now, when I see this, if these numbers are accurate and these numbers are factual, this tells me that there may not be any movement in India EB2 between now and possibly July. And it's eerily similar to what happened with EB3 the previous year. We had a lot of that advanced movement in EB3, right? We had it. It started in, in, in October of 2020. It continued in spring through summer, advancing those dates significantly all the way to January 2015, I believe. Um, and then that retrogression happened, and it happened in November, right? And some more, I believe it was November of 2021. And only until July was there some advancement. Then we saw some advancement again in October. Um, this tells me that I talked about the green card backlog growing, right? It's only going to continue to grow more this year. And that's the scary part. If we're estimating it's 1.4 million currently, um, let's say there's another 30 to 60,000. Individual unique cases, I-140s that are approved. Um, and those individuals have spouses and dependents. Um, this number is just going to get bigger. And and that's the, the scary part, I think, for a lot of us who look at the data, who do the calculations, who play in the visa bulletin prediction game. Um, right now, the uncertainty that's being surrounded, specifically India, I mean, we look at EB2, I'd be really curious to see EB3 numbers at this point, too, um, because the flow down from EB1 to EB2, right, was kind of the hope with those visas being available. There was a lot of hope um, that a lot of the spillover would find its way back into EB2 and kind of help correcting some of that rapid forward movement that the Department of State in conjunction with the USCIS did um, kind of over the last quarter of the year in an effort to maximize all of the available employment-based numbers that were allocated last year, that 280,000 plus. And look, um, as I talked about in the H1B Guy News on Friday, you know, Amazon came out and um, uh, acknowledged the effort that occurred from USDIS to, um, to to use those numbers. But then we look at September and there were numbers that were, were unavailable. And, you know, ultimately that is the thing that I, I think is most concerning is they advanced numbers so aggressively. It gave a lot of hope uh, to individuals that now there aren't numbers that are available. They may do be documentarily qualified, but there aren't numbers available. And so 
I'm interested to know, like, what are your thoughts? Do you find this data very concerning? For 41,405 pending adjustments to status for EB2 India for this fiscal year or currently pending um, with an estimated over a little over 400,000 EB2 visas that will be allocated to India for all of fiscal year 2023. Um, 10 times the number, over 10 times the number uh, is currently pending versus um, what possibly could be issued. And, you know, listen, I, I'm not a huge proponent of the, the lawsuit of the litigation here, but I will tell you that this is absolutely one where I can get behind because there's been some mistakes in the processing. It's a lot of first in, first out versus last in, first out. And we need more transparency around the processing. We just do. There's just too much at stake. Uh, and it goes back to why a lot of this needs to be done electronically. Uh, so I want to ask you again, if you haven't already, make sure you like this video. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. If you're new to this channel, um, I talk about uh, the H1B visa, employment-based preferences, the green card backlog. Um, this channel launched back in June 29th of 2022 um, with the intention of being a unique voice in this immigration space, specifically for employment and staffing, right? Um, I come at it from the perspective of real-world experience. I'm not an attorney. I don't provide legal advice. This is based on my real world experience. And I wanna make sure that those of you who may be watching this from outside the US, who are considering migrating to the US, understand the options that you have and the road that you face, which right now when we look at this green card backlog and we look at this very concerning data for India and EB2 tells me 12, 15, 16 years for anyone who may be looking to enter into the US Start working under an H-1B visa. Um, you're looking at a very long time, decade and a half, unless some type of immigration reform was to occur. Ultimately, this is a pretty grim piece of, of news um, that, that I saw yesterday. And it's very concerning. And it, again, it goes back to why the need for reform, right? addressing the root cause, removing country caps for employment-based preferences, potentially looking at reform to the H-1B visa, right? Whether it is extending the validity of the H-1B visa, whether it's either increasing or limiting the amount of H-1B visas that can come from any one country. Um, there's a lot of issues going on right now. Um, but when we look at what is the reform that we possibly could see before the end of the year, um, I think the STEM PhD reform has a lot of momentum behind it. Uh, I, I think there's a possibility we could see some reform as it relates to documented dreamers. Uh, again, assuming that, that those amendments may be included in the NDAA, I think there'll be uh, legislative reform concerning DACA. Um, we've seen the farm workers aid. Uh, of course, and then you've got uh, the refugees, Ukrainian Afghan refugees. Um, there's a lot going on that, that could possibly happen. But the biggest piece of reform that continues to be ignored, and as we talked about earlier, 
the fact that the Eagle Act hasn't found its way to either floor on the on the House or the Senate, I think tells me that there's a very clear division and ultimately a mentality of let's wait and see what happens after the midterms, um, which then will put us into next year, next legislative session with a lot of new lawmakers. Um, and only then could we possibly see maybe a more comprehensive or a standalone piece work its way through. Uh, but I do want to get to your questions and comments. I see a couple already. Please feel free to post those in the chat, and I will be sure to get to those here over the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes. Um, the first question I had was actually posted before um, the chat went live, and, and that was by uh, Singh, who says, will uh, priority date reach back to December 2014, this fiscal year 2023? I'd love to say yes. But based on this data that I'm looking at, I, I don't think so. Um, I really don't see, again, depending on dates, uh, maybe it does get through all of 2012 at this point. Maybe it does get into 2013. Um, but I don't foresee any movement really happening until towards the summer, just based on this data. Now, again, things could change based on the spillover based on the number of, of visas that may be coming available. But when you have um, 10 times the amount of adjustments of status that are pending uh, versus available visas, 4,000 for the year, it doesn't paint a, a very positive picture for me that um, by the end of this fiscal year, we'll be back to where we were last year. And I compare that to what happened with EB3 in 2020, 2021. Um, why? EB3 still isn't where it had gotten to in 2021. And that was through almost all of this year, all this calendar year. Um, very comparable. Some of you may disagree with that analogy, but to me, it is comparable. The, the, the upgrade, the downgrade, the interfilings, everything that's kind of gone in between the two. Um, you know, really, it's um, it, it feels eerily similar to, to what happened in 2020 and 2021. But uh, thanks, Insane. That's a good question. I wish my answer was different. I unfortunately just don't have a whole lot of hope for you right now. Uh, not being negative, being realistic. And I think any of you who have followed this channel for any period of time know that I really prefer to paint that realistic picture and be transparent about it, not trying to paint a negative picture. It is what it is. The system is what it is. You need to know what you're looking at, which is if I, you're a new H-1B coming into the U.S. from India, you're looking at 15 years, 16 years, before you may have a priority date that's current. That's, that's staggering. It's very concerning. Hey, Neha. How are you? Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Great to see you. Hey, Rami, um, any chance of August 2012 EB3 current this year? That's a good question. Um, as I said, and, and this is where I kind of got November's bulletin wrong, I've kind of have felt like, and I talked about this during last week's live stream a little bit, um, which is I've, I've kind of felt like EB3 India would move a little bit incrementally month over month. Um, the fact that it didn't move last month is concerning. 
Um, but you know, if we look at, at where we are, right, you're in April. Um, currently, EB3 final action dates currently in April, April 1st, 2012. And you know, you're three months if we're talking about August 1st, maybe four. Um, so I think that there is a possibility you could see your final action date current um, by the end of the year. Yes, maybe even sooner, but I don't want to sell you hope that I don't, I'm not positive on. But I do believe that, that uh, you know, August 1st, 2012, EB3 uh, could see its final action date current before the end of the year. Uh, thanks for the question, Rami. Nice to see you. Hey, Rajiv, good afternoon to you. I uh, appreciate you taking the time here to uh, join my live stream. Hey, Raghav, how are you? Uh, are there any chances for litigation for errors of processing based on the following rule, INA 202A, uh, 202A, 5A? I, I've seen a lot of discussions around this, and this is where I tell you I leave this one to the attorneys. Um, USCIS does have to be transparent in their processing um, and their reasoning for their processing. So it will be very interesting to see if we have, you know, an attorney who takes this on and, you know, has a, 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 a plaintiff versus Urjadu uh, in USCIS or, you know, Ali Mayorkas and, and the Department of Homeland Security. I think there's a possibility we could see something like this uh, because of how quickly those dates advance. And then we go back to cases that were filed in October of 2020, November of 2020. They're still pending. No movement. Why? Shouldn't it be last in, first out? That's logic to me. Raghav, but good question. I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, this is where I tell you, right? I'm a talking head. I'm not an attorney. I don't provide legal advice. Uh, definitely would leave this one to the attorneys to ask. Um, but I'm curious to see, like, what are your thoughts? You asked the question. Um, do you think this is something that we potentially could see another lawsuit on at some point in the future? Rajiv asks, December, any chance for PD April 16th, 2012? Yeah, you need one month of movement, don't you? <laughs> um, based on the data I shared earlier, though, uh, Rajiv, I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking that there's going to be movement, though. I wish I had a different answer for you. I, I just, I don't, I don't think there's enough available visas for the actual pending cases uh for the department of state then their communication with usdis based on those that are documentarily qualified i don't i don't think there's a, a enough availability in terms of the annual allocation even with spillover uh, which the department of state still is not confirmed on a visa bulletin yet maybe we'll see that in december um but no i i don't i don't foresee you having any movement until at least 2023 and like I kind of alluded to, it kind of feels like last year, right? When EB3 finally moved 30 days, it was like July. Um, but man, you're so close. So close. Your case is sitting at the National Benefit Center from September 26th. Yeah, because guess what? Um, you're part of that unavailable in September. 
So you're just sitting on a pile. You may be in a box in a cave somewhere, man. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but there's some truth behind it. Um, these paper files, these paper applications, these paper perms, um, all this paper, 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 everything. Like it's time for an upgrade. USCIS, Department of State, travel. It's time for an upgrade. We've got to go more digital. 2022, almost 2023. We've got to get away from paper filings. There's too much margin for error. We've got to have a system to which is last in, last out, first in, first out. Okay. Um, good question, though, Rajiv. Sorry, I don't have a better answer for you. Raj asks, is there going to be a second lottery? No, unfortunately not. Definitely got that one wrong. Um, USCIS came out in August and said uh, that they had uh, reached demand, but we've not seen a finalization yet. We've just seen that they have enough to reach demand and won't be holding a second. Um, I know a lot of you have asked me about uh, – RFEs and applications that are still pending, and it's October, mid-October, almost end of October. Um, I would tell you that I'd be having my attorney reach out to their uh, USCIS point of contact and be asking about my case specifically, though. Uh, Robbie says, thank you. You're quite welcome. Raghav says, thank you. Need more granular data. Um, rest of the world priorities are taken up first, which is erroneous as well. But the last law should not have the country quotas applied. Yeah, you're right, because they should have availability, right? Um, if we go back to a lot of the chats with Charlie, he talked about how the flow down and spillover, EB1, EB2, EB3, right? Um, how that flow down and spillover is why EB1's been current for as long as it has. Demand's been lower. And why EB2 would certainly see the bulk share um, of, of the available visas. And then that's why we saw all that advanced forward movement all the way to December 2014 uh, for the EB2 as, as late as September of, of 2022. Yeah, certainly one for litigation, Raghav. Uh, you know, I agree with you. Um, I always remember this has always stuck out. Uh, just because you can sue, right, create a, a, a lawsuit, um, doesn't mean you're going to win, though. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try either, but um, I do agree with you, though, on that. Thanks for uh, joining me today. Uh, just want to mention one last time, if you haven't already, please make sure you like this video. Uh, you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications. So that you're notified anytime we post new content or go live like we have here today on Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. Um, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so currently through the Super Chat function here during the live stream. If you're watching or listening to this at a later date uh, on YouTube, you can do so through the Super Thanks. If you're listening to this on the H1B Guy podcast, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't, please leave us a rating. Um, and thank you for your support there and listening to this in audio or video format on Spotify, um, as well as the H1B Guy podcast that's hosted on Anchor. Um, and thank you to everyone who has dropped a question in the chat. I really appreciate your interaction. 
Um, Adi asks, any chance of January 2014, EB2 India, data filing to reach a fiscal year 2023? No. And why? I will go back to reference B <laughs> of 41,405 pending adjustments of status for India EB2. Um, and there's only 4,004 available. 4,004 available for 41,405 pending adjustments of status for Indian EB2. It's a very concerning, really scary date, data point that was shared um, in a tweet by uh, the Benias Law Firm. Rajiv says, thanks. You're quite welcome, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate your time this afternoon. Hey, my good friend RRH, how are you doing? Been a while. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Um, how's it possible for Department of State to establish a combined EB2 worldwide final action date? Wouldn't they need to verify which countries exceeded the 7% cap limit and then retrogress those countries only? I think what they're looking to do is basically saying that uh, most of the demand EB2 is India and China, right? Um, but the fact that there is only a, a percentage, right? If you take, um, and I don't have the breakdown in front of me, but it does, there, there is data points out there that talk about how much is available for each employment-based preference, EB1, EB2, EB3. So, excuse me, ultimately what they're doing is they're taking EB2 and backing that out based on all of the rest of the world, all chargeability and that overall usage. Uh, if you remember last week, I did talk about um, there was over 60,000 uh, cases, the applications that had been submitted in 2021, and that wasn't through the entire year. It was through, like the first two quarters um, that was in the rest of the world, all, all other countries. And I think that's what's creating this, right, is uh, the overall number usage. Um, is, is pretty high right now in EB2 from from globally speaking. I get what you're saying, but I don't think that it necessarily is working that way from like a, a, a back it out verification. I think that the overall demand, they're looking at um, possibly those cases that are documentarily qualified that have been submitted potentially over the last several months. And then they're counting what that number used to be is for all of the fiscal year. Great question. Uh, Adi Raju says, hello. Hi, how are you? Thanks for joining me. Raj says, I have another question if you can answer. How complex is getting a LMB nowadays? Any recent changes? Definitely a little bit more scrutiny. Approval rates are still very high, over 90%. The biggest challenge is that you have to work in that international office for at least a year before the application for the L, L1B, can be submitted. And those are taking uh, a significantly long time um, to process. So really, you're looking at, to me, on an L1B, trying to get into the U.S., um, 18 to 24 months before that's a possibility. And so that's that's why a lot of folks prefer the H-1B, $10 barrier to entry, registration selected, um, employer then either has an opportunity for you here or they find you something. Um, that's why you see still 
intercompany transfer still a great way to come to the U.S. But you've got to have um, the right type of employer that has international offices and has offices in the U.S. Um, and has a need to bring you here. And they can justify and validate that. But approval still over 90% right now in, in the L1 space. Uh, it takes a pretty significant amount of time to get there. Good question. I've uh, got time for a couple more questions. So if you've got those, drop them in. I'm going to be wrapping up here in a few minutes. Yushan um, says, there are many bills proposed to address EV backlog. Are there? Just Eagle Act, as far as I'm concerned. You can't talk about the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. We can't talk about that Zoe Lofgren green card recapture standalone. Um, I don't see where those are really addressing the EV backlog. Um, the Eagle Act's really the only one out there, and, and it doesn't necessarily um, completely remove country caps, right? So um, do I think any of them were ever passed in our lifetime? If not, should we resign to the fact that we will never get our green time in our life? Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. Uh, Bashan is if you're a new H1B coming to the U.S., you're looking at 15 to 16 years right now. Pretty incredible if you think about it. Um, and that's why the backlog's continuing to grow, 1.4 million and growing. That's why this data around the EB2 um, is very concerning for India and that 41,405 status. Uh, do I think there will be reform in your lifetime? Yes, I do. I think we're going to see it sooner than we believe. Um, is it significant or is it little pieces included in larger bills like the NDAA? Um, possibly. But man, if you're feeling this kind of way right now, this is where I tell you Path to Canada, Sedesis, Mob Squad, check them out. Let them know I sent you. If you're not wanting to stay here, you want to go somewhere else that maybe gives you a faster track to permanent residency. Um, our friends to the north will welcome you with open arms, especially if you're in that 25 to 35 age demographic. Um, I say that laughingly, but global parking is a real thing. And as restrictive as our laws are and our inability to make these changes is creating this perfect storm for countries like Canada to benefit. Uh, Adaraju asks, my H-1B petition got approved on September 6th but still did not receive the approval notice. Kind of let me know what would be the reason for not getting a soft copy or hard document. So they haven't emailed you or your employer or their attorney, their legal representative, a PDF, and you know it's approved, and you know it's approved because you see that via your receipt notice. I'm just curious. Nor ask AOS pending traveled outside the US working on EADF laid off would not working on EAD impact AOS. Yeah, this is why you see a lot of people want to maintain that H1B status um, as long as they can and not change the EAD. But if you have EAD with advanced parole, um, I think you should be okay. But there definitely is some risk here. Um, I think you should be okay, but definitely some risk. Good, good question. Approved. Yeah, I'd be asking my immigration attorney to reach out to their USCIS liaison. Autoraju, for sure. It may be lost in the mail, but normally there should be a digital copy received by your attorney or your employer of record whose name was 
on the overall application. So there's a primary point of contact with your, within your employer that puts their email in the I-129. Um, as point of contact, they should have received it. Um, I've got time for one more question. Uh, before I do take that question, I just wanted to, again, remind everyone, uh, today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada. The audio plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Synthesis and Path to Canada are your answers. I'll gladly help you navigate the process. If you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below as someone from Synthesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And also about my good friend Carl Balthmeyer and his team at perm-ads.com, the industry leader providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let Carl and his team at perm-ads.com help you. And also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner Mob Squad has the solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world we're seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse as full as eight weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. All right. So let's see. Bashan, you're welcome. I um, appreciate your... Uh, your kind words. Happy to do these live sessions three weeks in a row. Going to try to do it again next Wednesday at three o'clock too. So join me here, same time, same place. I'll push out those links, of course, at some point on um, the twenty sixth, October the twenty sixth. Um, so be on the lookout for those. Thank you, everyone. Um, Neha, Rami, Rajiv, Raghav, um, Raj. Who else do I have? Who else do I have? RRH, good to see you. Um, Adaraju and Bushan and Noor, thank you all for your questions and your comments. I really appreciate your support. Make sure, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications. Uh, if you made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join my live stream or watching my video at a later date. Really appreciate your support. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, join our join the H1B Guy Telegram group, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, check out all of the content on the H1BGuy.com, all of the backlog of video content here on the H1B Guy YouTube channel, and also on the H1B Guy podcast uh, that's hosted on Anchor. Um, with I'm the H1B guy. Of course, for 